That might be the least productive thing you'll see all year. Hi, my name is Mark Rogers. I teach at Meridian World School in Round Rock, Texas. I just like teaching, so, so throw it at me and I'll, I'll teach it in front of, of students. That's my passion. Many of the students that you see behind me. This clip is from a video showcasing the winner of the 2017 HEB Excellence in Education Award. The teacher that won it was a guy named Mark Rogers. I first heard about Mark Rogers when I stumbled on a YouTube channel where he was taking a popular song at the time and turning it into a math song for his students. Triangle style. So this was back in 2015, and I found out that Mark actually lived in the Austin area. And so I reached out and said, hey, I have a bachelor's in sound recording technology if you want to come over and record another song for your students. Area, who knew? Rectangles going through would be close but untrue. If we could just get the limit to approach infinity, we could calculate the And as fun as the math rapping videos are, the most interesting thing that Mark's been experimenting with in his teaching career is this idea of looping. Looping is when you take a substantially similar cohort and teach them for at least two consecutive years. So for example, if you're a teacher teaching fourth grade, and uh, you decide you want to loop with your students, you go up with them to fifth grade with most, if not all, the same students. And so I sat down with Mark to talk about and explore this idea of looping because he's about to start a new project where he is going to begin as a kindergarten teacher and stay with the same group of kids all the way through 12th grade. This is the Tom Gibson Podcast, and in today's episode, we are exploring the idea of looping, the idea of students staying with the same teacher year after year, and the benefits that come with that, and the challenges that come with that, and looking at this 13-year experiment that Mark's going to be doing, and defining what success is going to look like in this big looping experiment, and hopefully inspiring other teachers to consider the possibility of doing a two- or a three-year loop with a group of students, uh, and seeing what the possible benefits could be in regards to both the teacher and student experience. My name is Mark Rogers. I am a K-12 educator, and I do mean that. The full K-12 coming up soon. I have experience teaching 7th through 12th grade, but next year we begin the journey. Kind of share that story of what your experience has been so far with looping. I uh, opened a, a, a charter school with a, a group of other founding teachers uh, called Meridian School in Round Rock. And I was hired to be the seventh and eighth grade teacher of math. And so I was the secondary math department. There was only one teacher and it was me. And so I, I taught these kids seventh and eighth grade math. And then the next year I taught seventh, eighth and ninth grade math which meant that my original 7th and 8th graders were now 8th and ninth graders, and I got to teach them again. This all came about because we didn't need to hire another math teacher. Like, we already had me, and there was enough sections for me to teach everybody. And that second year was amazing. And uh, I had taught using uh, the, 
the current model where you just teach for one year and then you don't teach those kids again. And so I was a little bit confused why everything was so much easier. Like, it's like, wow, there are not many discipline problems this year. You know, students are showing up on time. They know what to do. Uh, we have really good rapport. What's, what's the secret? And so I kind of tripped into this accidentally. And so the next year when I was the eighth, ninth, and 10th grade teacher, and I'd been teaching uh, two of those grades for uh, worth of students for three consecutive years, that's when the real magic happened. And I said, all right, so looping is, that's how we have to do it. Like it's, it's a really magical experience. And, uh, you know, having the opportunity accidentally to do it at Meridian has shaped my entire educational career. If you're a teacher listening to this and you're, you're saying, yeah, I've, I've been teaching the, in the typical manner where I, I'm a content specialist and, and students flow through me year to year, you say to yourself, well, what are my first weeks going to look like? And, and you honestly, you might feel a little rough about it. You're like, well, I've got to get to know everybody's name. I have to know their learning styles. I have to get them to buy into the class because we need willing subjects in order to impart some knowledge. And the best part about looping is you have none of that. You have just the, the whole 36-week calendar academic year to learn. You, you don't have any of this transitional time where you're like, oh, I've got new faces in here that I need to contact their, their parents and, and write notes home. And there, there's just none of that. It's, it's like you have an extra two weeks of instruction every single year. So that's two weeks per year. So you imagine if you do this for three or four years, I mean, you're actually like squeezing an extra quarter's worth of instruction in, and that becomes really powerful uh, when, you're, when you're trying to, you know, academically raise the level of your kids. I was just having coffee with, uh, with a former parent of, of mine, so that sounds weird. The, the former student's parent uh, that, that I used to teach for four consecutive years. And he was telling me about uh, their experience. He was a diplomat in Latvia. So, uh, so I taught Chris for four years. Mm -hmm. And then you told me that that was similar to what he experienced when, when you were in Latvia. Can you tell me a little bit about that, that education system? Yeah, they have something in Latvia. And it's fairly common where you have a teacher that sticks with a class of students from ages, um, or not ages, but grades first through fourth grade. And in fact, they have a term for it, and the term translated to English should be the one that grows them up. Oh, cool. Yeah, and, and you know, I figure you wouldn't understand the Latvian term if I said it in Latvian, but the one that grows them up. And it's really a cool idea that this teacher is really invested in this group of students. It's almost like a cohort situation. Uh, and you know, some people say, well, what happens to you? What were the biggest challenges that you faced in the time that you've had so far? Challenges don't come from the student side, if, I, if I'm being perfectly honest. Like, everything gets easier year to year. The challenge comes from the administrative side, where you're starting to get pressure to, to stay in certain grades. Or if you're wanting to come back down to start a new loop, you're starting to run into some resistance. So my biggest struggle was actually trying to convince the leadership at my school to, to let me do a bigger loop. So I had done seventh through 12th, and now I wanted to do K through 12, and I ran into quite a bit of resistance there. That was a struggle. 
And what about the content? Uh, I can imagine that being like just year after year, you don't really get to refine what you've been doing in the past because you're just kind of moving forward, moving forward, doing new stuff. What was your experience with that? Yeah, great point. That That is challenging for sure, but it's it's something that is more than balanced out by not having to learn the names, learning styles, and families of new kids. So I actually see that as a wash at best because, yeah, I may have to learn a... Um, a new intriguing way to teach the Pythagorean theorem. But I would take that every day in, in, in lieu of having a full classroom of, of new kids. And this sounds really silly saying it. It takes a lot longer to learn a person than it does to learn, you know, Pythagorean oh, yeah. theorem, right? Like you can... Well, and loyalty isn't built in a day. And, and have sto- students feel loyalty to you makes your job a lot easier. So once they're loyal to you and they want to please you and they want to work hard for you, um, that is a that's a large part of your job, I think. Mm-hmm. And so it's like everything happens with relationship. You know, it's like you know that in business, everything happens with trust. If you if you trust someone, if you have a relationship with someone, you can get something going. Yeah. If you don't have trust, you don't have a relationship. It is so hard to move anything. Yeah. And it's really every. Did you ever have students in your classes that you felt? weren't a good fit personality-wise that that they just ended up having to stay through the entire loop? And what do you do in that situation? So so I'm, I'm currently uh, moving schools. So I, I was at a school named, uh, called Meridian, and I'm moving to a school called Austin Achieve. And so I was cleaning out the boxes and boxes and boxes. I'm, I'm a giant pack rat. It's, it's a problem. But I had these notes, and specifically from this one student, we'll call her Tori, and I have this note from her from when she was in eighth grade. And, and I was like, why did I keep this note? Because it's an apology letter. She says, I'm sorry for acting out in class. I'm sorry for not participating. I promise I'll be better in the future. And it was just a really strange note because I don't know why back then I would keep it. And, and I realized only afterward, I was like, oh, this is... This is amazing, Tori. Tori, who graduated and took the higher level math course and uh, did really well on it and is being successful at the university level. I kept that note because I knew that she was going to make it. And even though we had a personality conflict the first couple of years, I knew through positivity and just continuing on together that we were going to get through it and that we were going to have a great relationship at the end, which we did. So yeah, you'll, you'll initially have personality conflicts as you get to know somebody, but people mature over the years, myself included. Like I'm basically like a 14-year-old kid at heart. So you know I have a lot of room for maturation to go. What have you noticed as far as this student experience um, sticking with you from sixth grade all the way through 12th grade, at least in all their math classes and some other classes they may have had with you? Yeah, you, when, when you ask students... How do you feel about this? It's tough to to get away from the confirmation bias because you know they students want to please teachers they want to do well. So I typically haven't heard oh this was absolutely terrible and I can't believe I had to go through it with Mr. Rogers year after year after Is it possible that somebody's thought that? Sure but it hasn't manifested itself ever. And, and even students who struggled with me initially, I, I mentioned one s- student, Tori, there's another student um, who, who we didn't 
quite understand each other the first couple of years, um, but we just kept trying to be positive. And um, she actually said the sweetest things about uh, about our class. The the funny story about this is that he buddy, the like you know, bag of groceries, like dressed like costumed character comes into my class last March and is like, hey, kids, Mr. Rogers won the Rising Star of Secondary Award. And they're all cheering and like they brought like a pineapple and like some HEB cookies and stuff. It was really hilarious. My students were really into it. But they also brought a professional photographer and videographer and interviewer. And so they interviewed me, but then they said, you know, we want to interview one of your students. And I look across this room, 25 faces who I've known for six years and taught for six years. I'm like, I can't choose anybody. Let's go to random.org slash lists. <laughs> I toss everybody's name in there. I click randomize and, and Melanie comes up. And, and, and Melanie's a student where we didn't quite understand each other the first couple of years. Uh, and... And that's, but again, like I'm saying, that's okay because people mature and you start to learn it. Like it takes time to learn people. So if we had only had one year together, it would have just been that one year, like gone. But because we were able to learn from one another, she became extremely successful in my class because I got to adjust my teaching methods to suit her personality and her learning style. So knowing that she was going to go back there, I was like, this is going to be a very honest response about how looping was with Mr. Rogers. He's really fun and interactive. It's been interesting, because he like he really knows you. He knows where your strong suits are and what your weaknesses are, and he'll find uh, something that could apply to the world in general, and he'll make a problem out of it. So that way it's more like relatable to us to understand. He's a very good teacher, very helpful, very caring. It, it, was, it was really touching to, to hear it. Yeah, hearing you talk about that, it, it kind of helps me. It makes me think that the students being with you through this whole process, it almost teaches them how to be in a committed relationship because they, they know that they, they are with you. It's not one of these things where, they're, where they, they bail when it gets too hard or where they bail when they don't like you anymore. And you have to work through it. You know, There is no way out of it. It's like we have to figure out how to make this work, which is a really valuable lesson when it comes to just learning how to interact with people and to be in relationships and be in committed relationships, even even though they may not have had the the option of saying, I commit to this relationship. They were kind of just thrown in there. But I hadn't thought about that until until you had just mentioned it now where you're just like, well, we're both in this for the next few years. We got to figure out how to make it work. Yeah, it's this, this beauty of uh, mutually incentivizing both parties. So you think about a, a teacher, and let's just say that I had a, a really challenging student, uh, student in my class, and it's mid-March, like after spring break. We come back from spring break, and this student acts out or doesn't show proficiency on some learning objective, and you're like, oh, I've only got two more months with you. Like, how many teachers have said that in the past? It's... It, it's and it's subconscious. I mean, it's like teachers are really wonderful people, but we're human too. And so you have this subconscious creep into you that's like, well, there's light at the end of the tunnel, but that light is you're not going to have to teach this student anymore. It's, uh, 
it's a pernicious subconscious feeling that that no teacher likes to have, but you still have. And then all of a sudden you flip that on its head and you're like, no, 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 no. It's not two more months. It's 14 more months, 26 more months, 38 more months with this student. You're going to figure it out and you're going to figure it out that week. You're like, oh, you're back from spring break. Maybe you didn't do enough exercises over or you had some attrition in this learning objective. So let's spend some, t- some time together. The student's going to think the exact same thing. You know, if, if they don't reach a learning objective with two months left of school, they're going to be like, oh God, just get me out of this class. <laughs> I've, I've got two more months with, the, you know, Miss, Mr. Jones or whoever. I just, I just got to go. All of a sudden, 14 more months. 26 more months, 38 more months, they're like, well, I guess I'm just going to figure this out because I, I have to. And so you have both parties very strongly incentivized to, to figure this out. And that's, that's the power of looping. You're getting ready for a new project. What's, what's your next looping project? So the 7th through 12th secondary loop taught me a lot. It taught me that it's, it's all about relationships that... Teachers can learn new content. And if you really want to prove that this works, uh, why not do the thing that's never been done before, which is take a class in a modern environment, like in the, you know, this, this century, and say, let's go K through 12. Uh, through all of my research, I can't find an instance where it's been done before, but I know it was done early in the 20th century. I mean, you had one-room schoolhouses where, where kids were taught by the same person for years and years and years. But in a modern schooling environment, because of our, our culture of, of being content specialists where kids flow through us, it's just never been done. So that's the project. I am going to teach kindergarten uh, for the 2018-19 school year and then first grade and then second grade. And then we're going to go all the way up to, to high school and those babies next year, they're going to graduate. They're going to make it. Class of 2033, here we come, Tom Gibson. <laughs> so what is, what is success going to look like for you in this? Success is being able to add because 13 plus 2018 is the class of 2031. Um, so I just realized that it's not the class of 2033. <laughs> <laughs> it's the class of 2031, Tom Gibson. Here we go. Woo. Okay. I was a math teacher last year. And I guess um, my, my skills have eroded in these fir- this first week of summer. Uh, success. Success is going to be first and foremost about those kids uh, what can we do to improve the lives of those kids? And and the metrics that you're going to look at are going to be attendance, discipline referrals, reading level growth, and and matriculation into high school, matriculation into to university. Uh, those those are the things that we're going to be measuring over the years. The second one, this is kind of like the, the, the first goal was 1A. 1B is how do I raise awareness for this? Because in my heart, I believe this is the, this is the magic. This is how we improve American education. I need to convince other teachers that this is worth the gamble and it's, it's very worthwhile. So uh, raising awareness for looping and getting more teachers involved in looping is a big deal because currently only about one in seven schools have any instance of this in the United States. So federal data indicates that one in seven schools has a teacher 
that loops. So it's not the whole school. Right? So the number of students who are positively impacted by, by looping, I think, is disproportionately small for the benefit that it gives. So what are some of the challenges that you anticipate with this, this newer, longer-term, bigger looping project? The, the challenges, uh, personally, are going to be keeping the pedagogy fresh for the kids. And I had some of that in 7th through 12th grade uh, in my previous loop of six years where I needed every year to refresh classroom tactics. Now, your procedures can be the same. And your content's going to be a little different, but the way you deliver it, you, they they want to have some expectation that it's going to be similar because they, you know, people like routine, but at the same time, that can get boring. So for me, thirteen years of professionally developing myself to where I have an infinite bag of tricks like slung over my shoulder, and I'm like, oh, this isn't working. Well, what about this today? Mm. Like, I have to have that very well stocked. So continuing to to do training to interface with quality educators like yourself and and just getting new ideas to to toss into the classroom is going to be pretty challenging but I'm I'm excited about that challenge. And what are some criticisms that you have heard about looping whether people saying it's 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 not helpful or it's harmful or what are criticisms you've heard and how would you really address those? Yeah, the the scariest thing for a parent who goes into a looping program is to think this. What if my student gets a, and I'm, I'm tossing these, these bunny ears out here, uh, quote unquote bad teacher. And the reason I say that is because I think people get into teaching with good intentions at heart, but they're just not trained uh, properly uh, in, in many of the cases. And I've known some teachers who have not been successful and it's not because they didn't love kids or or want to do a good job, they just didn't have tactics that could work in the classroom. And that's a training fault. That's not necessarily their fault. So how do you get teachers to, to become better? Well, one of the greatest things that you could do is tell that teacher, well, classroom management is going to continue to improve because you're going to have the same kids year to year. So in year two, the students already know that teacher and the teacher's going to know that students that student so that second year teacher if they struggled the first year will have a much stronger second year because they already know those kids then they can focus on the pedagogy like the content delivery and they can they can focus on professionally developing themselves so i i don't think that that argument holds a lot of water because uh, you know first and second year teachers struggle all the time, but the way to make their lives easier is to actually send them up with the students so they, they get those students a second year, and then all of a sudden classroom management is much less of an issue. And what about the content being you have never, you've never taught kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and so that'll be all new. Are you worried about about that aspect of it is like in you're not going to be a first year teacher in the sense that you know how to manage a class and you know how to structure uh, your own professional development. But are you worried about being first year in the sense of each one of these years is going to be content wise the first time you're doing this? Yeah, this is where a team becomes very important. So I'm not doing this on my own, and the team that's been hired at Austin Achieve is extremely strong. And so there's experience at every single grade level and uh, being able to, to, you know, if I'm having trouble coming up with a, an exciting 
way to uh, to describe government to to students during a civics lesson. I can talk to one of my colleagues and just crowdsource that lesson. Uh, the internet, right? Like so. So there's plenty of really engaging activities uh, that that I've found in terms of of resources online. So the content, you know, is 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 also something that that we're all familiar with. Like the K through five Texas essential knowledge and skills. Those are, th- those are all doable for us. Uh, this isn't like me trying to do implicit integration with calculus where it's going to take me 45 minutes just to understand mm-hmm. how to do it before I teach it. This is going to be like, well, here's the, the objective. So substantially all of my time is going to be thinking about how do I creatively deliver it? And I think that's a different ask than someone who's trying to do the different loop. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, I remember like, I would sometimes be like furiously scribbling notes on how to do a really tough uh, derivative in calculus during 11th and 12th grade math as the students are walking in and I'm like, hey, whoop, whoop, <laughs> hold on. Nope, stay out in the hall. Just one more tech. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Come on in. I know exactly what I'm doing. Logistically, what is this going to look like for you? Are you going to teach all the classes up until fourth grade or sixth grade and then just become their math teacher in secondary school or um, just their advisor or what is it going to look like or do you know that yet? Yes, so I will teach all of the classes likely with the exception of, of our, our specials classes which we can think of as like art and music, uh, PE uh, I'll teach the content courses. Uh, I would say K through two is likely what we're going to see. Third and fourth, they'll probably get some differentiation. So I'll maybe look at math and science, and another teacher would take over the humanities, and the students would would flow. Um, and that's really cool to think about too, because then starting in like third grade, I get to start a new loop almost with mm-hmm. with more students. And then in fifth or sixth grade, when I'm only a math teacher, that's when I get to start an, another loop altogether because then I'll have lots of different students coming through me in addition to the ones that I've been teaching since kindergarten. Mm-hmm. So this is going to uh, be a like a exponentially growing looping program because of the differentiation. And I can't say enough how much I support differentiated learning and learning different teaching styles because that's important to to academic growth as well. If we want these students to be successful learners long-term, they need to learn how to respond to different styles of teaching mm-hmm. and different ways of, uh, of content delivery. I think that's really important, and they will get that in this program. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I've I've heard another thing is like oh well they don't get to they don't get to see what it's like with a different teacher and learn to adapt but they still will get that and you'll still just end up being their math teacher once they get to secondary school and they get the whole experience of having a bunch of different teachers still uh, and learning how to work in that context. Right. What type of teacher is looping for? Is looping for all teachers? Do you think all teachers should try something like this or is it a specific type of teacher? Are the different types of looping? I would say that looping is for most teachers because most teachers are here to make a positive impact on on the human in the classroom. However, and this isn't this isn't a bad thing. Some students are content masters who engage highly with the content and they're special teachers as well. I would say looping's not as much for them because that would mean that they would be going to potentially different, higher, lower content levels based on, on what their, their mastery is. And there's a teacher at my old school who said that 
you know, she had two master's degrees, you know, in a certain content level. And, and like, I was like, okay, I understand. Like, you're really passionate about this specific language. Um, this was a French teacher. And you should probably stay in, in this level of French because that's where your passion is. But for other teachers I, who I think represent the majority, it's going to be about impacting students' lives positively and uh, in staying with them for multiple years who want to make a career out of education. And that's who I think looping's best for. And I think looping works best in three-year increments, give or take. So the reason it's called looping is actually because if you were, say, a sixth grade teacher, you'd go up sixth, seventh, eighth, and then come back down and then teach a new cohort, six, seven, eight, and come back down. So you get that loop. So even though this project I've dubbed Loop 13 because it's K through 12 or 13 years of education, it's technically not a loop until I come back down. The issue is I'm going to be like 46 when this ends. So if I actually do a loop and do it again, I mean, I'll be like 60. But <laughs> If a teacher was interested in trying this, experimenting with it, whether at the elementary, the middle school, or the high school level, what would be a good starting point? How would they go about trying? What kind of conversations should they have? Do you have any advice on how to have that conversation with administration? I think that the pushback I've gotten from administra uh, my administrators uh, has shown me exactly what you need to do. And it, it's with forethought. You need to go to them before they've developed a master schedule that everybody's you know teaching this specific subject because... For administrators, it's really easy to slot people into the same position year after year after year. So you need to go to them in January and express initial interest. Then after spring break, again, express interest, but now they've heard it twice. And just continue to, to send them emails and, uh, and, and tell them about all the benefits that, that you see coming from this. And if the listeners of the, this podcast want to go to loop13.org, there is, uh, there's, there's something on that website where you can actually look at the research, uh, cited research papers that show the benefits of looping. And, you know, the, if, if you're not there already, the, the quick hitters are you're going to have better attendance, lower discipline referrals, and usually higher like more engaged students with with better learning outcomes and there's there's research to back that so there's about a half dozen research papers that I've read and then um, just my own experience I've I've seen that so when you're talking about the research uh, as far as the research that you'll be conducting with your own loop who's conducting that research did you have to get like a, a professional researching organization to partner with you in that or how is this uh, going to become official research outside of you know the blogs or the videos or the podcasts that you make where you kind of share anecdotes of what's going on in the classroom that that's a great question because you're you're saying you know if i'm writing the research paper there's quite a bit of bias uh, associated. So I, I have had initial conversations with PhD programs at some universities here in Texas. And uh, that is the dream, to get a PhD to actually come to school, do some interviews, and over a potentially two to three year period, write an initial review. But what I've seen to be a major hurdle after talking with the, the directors of these PhD programs is that people want to earn their PhDs in less than 13 years. Mm. <laughs> so to get somebody to come in and do like a, a full encapsulation of this uh, and stay for 13 years, like 
no one's going to agree to that. You're going to be like, yeah, I'll, I'll wait to get my PhD and do my dissertation on this. So these are going to be like more compartmentalized research uh, papers. But the most important thing that I'm going to do to ensure that there can actually be a 13-year study on this is that all of the data uh, can't be, there can be no manipulation of data. So attendance records, discipline referrals, and grades, those are official state documents, basically, Mm -hmm. um, that I can't alter. So we're going to do... Uh, research on that, and then in terms of like the qualitative stuff uh, of of getting students to respond, you know, how, you know, like how do you feel about your learning progress this year, and relate that to a control group, for example. That's uh, part of a broader conversation um, that I'll need to have with with PhD programs. But in terms of just getting like the the simple raw like official data, that'll be available over the thirteen year period that hopefully somebody writes a paper on. But if no one does, then I will, and I'll just have to put a giant disclaimer on. Yeah, <laughs> and so with with your new with your move to the new school, how is the demographic changing from your previous school to your new school? And do you feel that that's going to have uh, a significant impact in any way uh, to your previous experience with the new experience? Yeah, the the demographic change is is pretty big. We we had great cultural diversity at Meridian School at extremely low poverty rates given the community we were in. So 8% of our students were eligible for free and reduced lunch. And at the new school, Austin Achieve, it's it's the the opposite. So it's anywhere, any given year from 95 to 98% of students will get free and reduced lunch. And that's, that's one measure of socioeconomic status. And that being said, kids are like, the greatest, right? Like they, they all have something very special to bring. So I don't think that the demographic change is going to, if anything, I think it's going to prove that this can be even more successful because what you're saying is, you know, I'm going to um, get some kids who potentially come from challenging circumstances and I'm going to give them a rock for 13 years that is unwavering, always positive and there to help them. And I think that helps anybody, but I do think that this is going to help those kids too. Well, Mark, do you have any last statements, last words, parting thoughts for those listening? Give it a shot. Just one time. It just takes one time. (laughs) Then you'll be addicted forever. (laughs) Hopefully you've never heard that before. Uh, But in this context, you really should just try it once. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Step one, you take your function and pretend it was the derivative and say, how'd we get? If you'd like to keep up with Mark's Loop 13 project or look at some of the research that he was referring to, you can go to loop13.org. You can also find him on Twitter at RogersMarkD. That is it for this episode of the Tom Gibson Podcast. And if you enjoyed this podcast or think others may enjoy it, then consider leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcast or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast. And thanks so much for listening. And hopefully I'll see you in the next podcast. Let the function guide your way. Yeah. Integrate, evaluate, you know. And every step you take